0: talking to like a pure like money-driven investor it's like don't talk billions talk trillions right but if you're talking to an impact investor right definitely talk the big money but also talk about how many lives you're going to change right like if you want to be a billionaire help a billion people right same type of thing but it's a different story
1: hi everyone this is neil davani and welcome to season two of the operators This season, we're talking to people who have had a vision of changing the world and actually took the leap of faith to pursue that vision. Our guests include tech startup founders, nonprofit leaders, and rising political stars. Each guest has found supporters for their vision, built all-star teams to pursue it, and raised millions of dollars to make it all happen. We get to hear their stories and how they've overcome the obstacles to creating change. The Operators is produced by Necessary Ventures, an early-stage venture firm investing in what the world needs. Learn more at Necessary.vc. Before we meet today's guest, on The Operators, we like to highlight brands doing good. Today's is Warby Parker, the top online eyeglasses company. Warby Parker has distributed millions of pairs of glasses to those in need through their Buy a Pair, Give a Pair program, and they are now donating PPE and other preventative health supplies to those in the fight against COVID. Go to warbyparker.com theoperators The Operators to learn more. Now let's meet today's guest. Ruben Harris is the co-founder and CEO of Career Karma, a community of peers, mentors, and coaches who help people identify which career paths and educational opportunities are right for them. Career Karma helps their 100,000 plus members sift through the hundreds of boot camps and thousands of trade schools, colleges, and universities to find the right fit. They do this for free and focus on programs and career paths like software development and engineering, cybersecurity, digital marketing, and UI UX design. By helping folks acquire skills for the 21st century, they're a massive force for upward mobility in America and around the world. Now let's meet Ruben. Ruben, thanks so much for joining for an episode of The Operators. Thank you
0: for having me on the show, man.
1: It's awesome to have you. Uh, Before we jump in, can you share with the listeners, in your own words, uh, what career karma is and what problem it's solving?
0: Yeah. CareerCom is the easiest way to find a job training program online. So, we're a marketplace that matches workers to the job training programs that quickly get them jobs. Um, when you think about rapid reskilling programs, um, they consist of boot camps and trade schools. And on average, uh, we can get someone a job in three to 12 months. Our directory has 450 boot camps in it, in it and 7,000 trade schools, colleges, and universities. And while we're not Matching people to trade schools and universities yet, uh, we will in the future. Uh, what makes our platform unique is not only will we match you to a job training program, um, but we'll also give you support during the program, uh, during the job search, and for the rest of your life. So we maintain a relationship um, throughout your entire career by putting you into peer mentorship groups called squads. Um, and so um, now now we have a, a network of over 100,000 people since we launched a couple of years ago. I and mean, we have about a million people a month that come to us looking for career advice.
1: That's incredible. That's incredible. And how many years have you been uh, building the company?
0: We were founded April
1: 2018. Wow. <laughs> Amazing yeah. progress in just two and a half years. Yeah, man. Um, so so I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, and you just raised your Series A, uh, mm-hmm. led by uh, Gary Tan at Initialized. Mm-hmm. Congrats mm-hmm. On that.
0: Shout out to Gary.
1: Um, what was that experience
0: like for you? It's a great experience. I've known um, Gary Tan and Kim My Cutler from day one for a long time ago. I met, met them at God Coffee Bar, um, when we launched the Breaking into Starters podcast in 2016, um, before Career Common was a thing. And they've always been giving us advice on how to think about... Um, on how to have bigger ambition right and in, in the beginning, you know breaking into startups was just a love project um but then, um, you know as the future of work become started to become more and more of a big thing um you know they they planned a different season of, of into our year on how to think about this from a software perspective
1: that's amazing they've been they've been uh, people you've known for uh two years before you even started the company as you were just kind of about working seven, on-
0: I've known them for like seven years now, like I'm oh wow. One. Well, actually, not seven years. I've known the twins for seven years. I've known them for about like four or five years now. That's incredible. Um,
1: that's it's. I think a, a hallmark of fundraising during the pandemic, right? It's like if you have an established relationship, it's a lot easier versus trying to get
0: to know someone over Zoom. Mm-hmm. But don't get it twisted. I definitely did a lot of pitching. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we we can break that down too. <laughs> yeah, take me through the take me through the funnel. Like,
1: how many firms did you try to get in front of, and versus how many did you actually end up pitching?
0: Yeah, no, I, I managed everything through um, Streak in my Gmail account. So I had about 109 firms that were listed there. Um, but I would say like maybe like 50 of them at the bar. But I like to like really practice on a lot of pitches um, hmm. in total. So I started the fundraising process September 14. And then I had multiple term sheets by October 9th. Um, we had uh, was that three, faster or slower than you expected? Uh, faster, actually. Um, I, I mean, like think it's pretty the, fast. Yeah. yeah, I mean, most people, you know, they still be like eight to twelve weeks is what normally people say. It's like it'll take eight to twelve weeks in order to do a round, and then most people for their Series A they get zero to one term sheet, and we were mm-hmm. able to get multiple in about in less than a month. So. That's pretty cool. Um, so we had we had 100, 109 people in our pipeline. Um, we had um, many additional offers for people that wanted to co-lead that we had to send no to. So we have about seven people that wanted to co-lead. Um, and then we also had, um, we had um, many people wanting to participate, and I would say 51 people that passed. Then I have 25 people that are in a nurture column that can actually still come in at the B and that I'm still maintaining relationships with.
1: Nice, nice. So A just closed, but you already got the the B on the mind and in and plan and, and always always
0: be fundraising. Yeah.
1: Yes. That is the line. <laughs> that is the line. Um how, how does that compare to your seed round, right? So the Series A, you know, pretty high process, quick term sheet. Um you had it seems like a really good response in the market. I imagine because the business is is doing quite well. Um was the seed similar or different?
0: That's interesting, man. I, I think. The seed round was definitely similar, I would say, but it felt harder though. Like I'll say, money before YC did YC and then raise money yeah. again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll I say the pre-seed round before YC was super easy. That was a two-week process. We were supposed to raise one hundred fifty thousand. We ended up raising about a, a three hundred thousand, close to three hundred thousand. Then we did YC. They gave us one hundred fifty thousand. Then we went for a seed round. The seed round. It was challenging, man, because like a lot of the, if like we weren't making a lot of money, we we're making like 13000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had a product that had launched and we had some traction, but a lot of people didn't believe in the automation trend. They kept saying like, okay, everybody's talking, people have been talking about robots taking all the jobs for for years, but like, is it really a thing? Mm-hmm. And I would say the reason why I think this one was, a little easier in my opinion is that I didn't have to convince them on the the problem because COVID-19 accelerated all of these trends and made them real now. And now you have, like before my opening line at demo day was 375 million workers are going to switch careers between now and 2030. Instead of going back to college, they're going to rely on job training programs to find their next jobs and a bunch of other stuff. But now I could say, you know, this year over 55 million Americans filed for unemployment and 54% of the workforce requires reskilling by 2022. Like that's still a big problem and it's happening right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah. Like, you are in mind, right? Proof yeah. is in the Yeah. So um, that also touches on the why now and a bunch of other stuff on how I unpack the problem. But I would say painting the bigger picture was a lot stronger where my seed round pitch was more like, this is what's happening with the education market and boot camps and the financing and how it's spreading and the size of the bootcamp market. But what we're doing is much bigger than just matching people to bootcamps. It's, it's really uh, creating the best career navigation software of all time.
1: Yeah. And, and to use the C word, it's creating community, it sounds like, right? Like people right. are getting a lot of value from from that.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: I've, I've, I've read some of the stuff people have posted online about career carbon, And It seems like that's like the best aspect, right? It's like that's you're not alone in, in figuring this out and that's huge
0: yeah yeah no exactly communities are secret sauce um and whenever people get success they invite their friends did you so did you
1: end up uh starting the for the seed round before demo day or did you kick it off on
0: demo day that's a good question actually um we're advised not to not to raise um our fundraising before demo day Mm-hmm. um we we because like it it allows us to continue growing the business so that we from a founder perspective we have the best terms um when demo day comes and so mm-hmm. we chose to go that route because we were grateful for our mentors and they've positioned us well and so we had a lot of inbounds before demo day um, but we decided to listen to our our mentors and wait for demo day so yeah we did it after demo day
1: yeah and like on demo day, you had uh, a great influx of of uh, potential investors, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole event. I imagine
0: it definitely it definitely helped us launch. Um, it helped us get a lot of attention. Um, but I want I want to be real with people. Like if if I did not hit the pavement, and I did not pitch, and if I did not um, continue trying to do what we had to do in order to raise money, we would not have closed our seed round at all and i and i would say i probably hit up more people in the seed round than the series a because there's more options in the seed stage for sure
1: for sure like how many people would you estimate uh you pitched as part of the seed round And like how long did it take to close
0: Mm, i probably pitched about the same amount of people but the amount of contacts that were in my potentials that i could reach was in like the 200 plus range got it got it got
1: it and how, how long did it take you to get to like from demo day to final close
0: yeah demo day was march um yeah uh about may may or june yeah so that like the eight eight to eight to ten week mark yeah it took a lot yeah. longer yeah
1: that's still not bad,
0: though, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like... It's still the- not bad. It's still within the timeline. It's still not, yeah. like, way abnormal. Like, it's similar to the job search. The job search, when you're done with the coding boot camp or any boot camp, is going to be one to three months. Um, but if you don't keep that pressure on, then you're not going to get it. But, yeah, it, it still was a, within the timeline. So, it wasn't an anomaly, but there was definitely... It couldn't feel kind of... Um, psychologically defeating when all your friends in the batch are raising pre-demo day or, or yeah. after, right after demo day or same week of demo day. And you're like, dang, like what's wrong with me? Um, but that's just normal, you know? Yeah. I mean, fundraising as a whole, is just like mm-hmm. a lot of the
1: mental exercise, right? Like just in terms of, um, figuring out what you're experiencing, what do you take as serious feedback? What do you not take? Mm-hmm. Um, would, do you feel that your experience either with the seed round or, uh, the Series A uh, was different, given that you're a black man in in tech in Silicon Valley versus your colleagues at other companies. You know,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, we touched on it a little bit in the pre-shot. Um, you definitely see people more receptive to taking meetings with you, um, but not a lot of people taking action. Um, And I would say that's that. that's all, I don't always think that's a bad thing, right? If I don't have the numbers, then I don't think that's a bad thing. But if I do have the numbers, that kind of like kind of confuses me sometimes. And also, um, the people that end up cutting checks are sometimes unexpected, right? So you would think like, if I'm a black person, I'm pitching the black funds, then the black funds will cut a check which yeah a lot of them have like we've been pretty deliberate uh, deliberate about creating a cap table that is for us by us um impact driven with billion dollar ambitions and like across the board um so and you can see that i'm not going to list out all the investors now but um there's also people that like are kind of like the underground railroad that are that are white that are going to support you as well on this journey and so when i when i think about um When I think about it, there there were some people that told me that I was only getting meetings because I was black, and that and that that they said that to my face, and that I was not happy about that because like our numbers are great, Um, and where I know I know my friends that have raised money in Series A's in the pandemic from the top funds, and I know what their internal metrics are because we have a nice CEO network. Um, so I knew from a numbers perspective we were good. Um, but so you but but I know that their intentions were good. Their intentions were more like it's kinda like when I was in investment banking. They're like one of my one of my buddies was like, Hey man, you're you're in here and you're great, but we have to get our MBA, we have to get our CFA, we gotta get our CPA, we got like we gotta do all these different things in order to prove that we are better than everybody even though we already got it. And so they were just like, make sure you don't just get the meetings just because you're black and you get the check just because you're black. Make sure that you got the numbers behind you. I think that's what the feedback was, but the message wasn't received that way. And it really bothered me. So, but that, but other than that, like that just fueled me to make sure that our numbers were great and nobody could say anything else.
1: Yeah, just people bulletproof, right? That's an easy solution. Um, yeah. Folks who were... Listening and, and just so we can uh, uh, recap what we did in the pre-chat, uh, I was mentioning that there's uh, this professor at Stanford, uh, Jennifer Aberhart, who uh, mm-hmm. does a lot of research on implicit bias and works with law enforcement on that issue. I think she's worked with Oakland PD, for example, um, and she wrote a book called Biased that just kind of explores all the different um, examples and permutations and consequences of implicit bias, and she published this paper uh, last year It's really interesting to me as a GP, which basically goes through, um, uh, it it was like a a recap of a research study that showed that investors um, that have like a white-led team or a white-led fund um, will raise more money than black-led funds. That's not surprising, right? That's the whole implicit bias thing. Uh, But it also showed that um, investors will meet with black-led teams more often than white-led teams, assuming equal performance. And and I think that's a little bit of what you're talking to in terms of like the feedback that you got from people and also what we've seen with a lot of VCs doing office hours and taking meetings and like just trying to create some uh they're trying to do something, but like if you're not um, hiring someone, if you're not making an investment, um, you know, it is a little bit of theater that's going on.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna tell you like where I got the best, the best advice for the A. And if it wasn't for these people, there's no way we could have done this. So there's a lady named Iman Abu Zaid, CEO mm-hmm. of Incredible Health. Yeah. Um, Amira Yahweh CEO of Moz. Um, And then Series A Y Combinator program as well. Like, so these ladies spent time in every week reviewing our deck, helping us pitch, helping us practice, like telling us their experience, looking it over our investor list, like helping us understand how to not just understand who we're taking capital fund from a, from a VC perspective, but who the partners are, how to think about them. Like just all kinds of things like that that you will never find in a book, you will never find in a blog, you will never find on a podcast. And so I, I definitely got got to give them two shout-outs. Shout um, and also, like, I'm, I'm grateful to have them as angel investors in this round. Um, but then we also had um, – the series a y combinator program so like janelle tang michael seibel to brady like all these different people that really really helped us get to the next level and that's that goes back to the power of networks you know um and some some even the original conversation that i had with gary tan about like if people are going from like from c stage to series a it's kind of like your first job to your next job right you're going to work a little bit in between between your first job and your next job but you're going to need some guidance and some some people to talk to to help you think about the next step. Um, and I, I just I just had to give a shout out to them because if it wasn't for them, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So anybody else that's trying to think about these these Series A fundraising processes, like a lot of people, even me when I was first reading about it, you'll look at how you need to make your deck and your financial model and all this other stuff. But the best advice that you're going to get is from, um, from other CEOs. And the other thing that's cool about working with other CEOs is um, you don't do your own outbound; you create inbound through them.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's I think that's very true. Um, I've I've seen that for sure. Um, and I like the I like the shout outs. I mean, I think there's been a theme through season two of the operators where we've talked to like leaders uh, of of companies, of nonprofits, uh, political leaders. Um, And in season one, when we're talking to people who are in different roles, like, you know, how do you become uh, a leader in uh, recruiting or product management or enterprise sales in a tech company? What does that career path look like? Uh, And everyone has always kind of come back to this theme of uh, mentorship and and networks. And it's like you have to identify people who are going to be in your corner and help you out and give you that advice. Um, And it just accelerates your career. It accelerates whatever you're trying to do. And it sounds like that's, that's been your experience as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they give you like, cause like after you put all the quantitative stuff into a deck or you, you frame it in the right way is like really help you tell the story in the right way. There's a lot of deeper nuances that are required in the, in the, in the series a, than in the seed round, because, even when you have the numbers, a lot of times they don't really care about what you're doing today. They care about the 2030 vision and like what the capital that they're giving you gets you to next. And like, what are the clear things that you got to do to get to the B? And you have to tell it in a very, very big way. And it also depends on which investor that you're talking to. If you're talking to like a pure, like money-driven investor, it's like, don't talk billions, talk trillions, right? But if you're talking to an a, a, a impact investor, right, definitely talk the big money, but also talk about how many lives you're going to change, right? Like if you want to be a billionaire, help a billion people, right? Same type of thing, but it's a different story.
1: You're out here just giving away all the secrets right now. This is great. <laughs> Um So let, let's, go, let's go back to the company. Let's go back to uh, just kind of like the origin here. Um it sounds like you were interested in these ideas, you were doing stuff uh on the side. Like at what point did you get to I'm going to start a company and this is who I'm going to start it with? Like what was that whole process?
0: Yeah. I mean, we moved to the Bay Area in in 2014. Um I came co- from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh all of us uh had not worked in the tech industry before except one of us. One uh T1 was in at working as a scrum master, auto trader, but none of us knew how to code. Uh, We discovered boot camps during our time in finance. Um, uh, My co-founders decided to become software engineers, um, and I I decided to master sales and CEO type stuff. And we created this podcast uh, where we shared stories of everyday people like us that figured out how to break into tech. Because... Uh, The VCs didn't cover the, the the tech media didn't cover the operators. They covered the CEOs and the VCs. Right. That's why I like, that's why I like the title of this podcast. Um, And so we're like, we we could fill this niche. Um, And once that we created a podcast called breaking into startups that I was talking about in the beginning um, that Gary was advising us on and um, that podcast blew up and got millions of views. And then Individuals that listen to the podcast started reaching out asking how they could break into tech. And then schools started reaching out how they can pay to get access to our audience so that they can find potential new students. And one the first school that reached out to us said they want to start paying us five thousand a month. And I was like, Wow, like you can make sixty thousand a year from one school? That's interesting. Like, why are they paying so much? And then I started realizing I Well, yeah, it's just that was just on the podcast side of things. Yeah, exactly. That was just on the podcast side of things. Like, and then I was like, hmm, like what's. Why are they paying so much? I was like, do other people pay this much? How many schools are there? And so, you know, the the bottoms up TAM models are are, are the best models, right? So you start look, for the people that don't know what TAM is, it's total addressable market, right? So you're like, okay, there's 450 boot camps, you know, in total boot camps and trade schools, 9,000 boot camps and trade schools. So blue-collar workers are pretty confused about figuring out which one's best for them. How many colleges are there? Okay, there's over five thousand colleges. No wonder people are confused. And if every school is teaching the same thing, that's probably why they're fighting for the same student. And so how much do they pay on average, right? And if you look at the market, they pay about 25% of their budget on marketing. So that's when we started thinking, hmm, all right, like, since we've created this podcast that has given us essentially the voice or the the authority on being the trusted brand for the future of work, since we've done it ourselves and because we have other people that have done it, like, why don't we just keep doubling down on this idea? That's where the inklings came. Like we're just like we, we built something that both sides of the market trusted. People were already paying us money for it without even having an app or anything. And then we just started organizing events and office hours and, and things like that to talk to people about it. And then we started organizing them in a fr- spreadsheet. Then we used a prototyping app called Bubble to to play around with some different ideas. And then we realized that, like, Telegram work, groups work very well. Then we cloned the Telegram app into our own thing, added some profiles on it. And then it just kept iterating and iterating and, and it turned it into what it is today.
1: Was was there a moment where it was, like, I'm quitting my job or, like, this is now a full-time thing,
0: like, real? Um, or was this more gradual? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll say there's more gradual because, like, during that time, I was also talking to Marco Seibel, like before our podcast was a thing too. I mean, before CareerCom was a thing too. And um, you know, he would always—he's also one of my closest mentors—and he he would always say, you know, "You ready to start a company?" And I'd say, "Yeah." He was like, "Have you quit your job yet?" I'd say, "You're not ready." So he just kept saying that, and then finally, I was the first one to quit my job out of the me and my co-founders. Um, and so I quit my job March of 2018. And then um my co-founders quit their jobs and our, our thing was like, all right, we quit, now we're gonna apply to Y Combinator. And so we applied thinking that we were gonna get in because we knew everybody, but we didn't. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then and then, you know, that's when things get real, real. Um that's when we went we got we had to push ourselves to figure out that whole pre seed round thing or whatever. Um, Didn't you guys have like doubts or like
1: regrets at that moment? Then, like, shit, I just quit my job. What am I doing? Or was it like, whatever, no big deal, keep going? I
0: don't think we had doubts, uh, but there was definitely fear, right? It's like, dang, how are we going to survive now? Because um, you know, as a CEO, you don't one of your jobs is like making sure the company doesn't run out of cash, right? And so, yeah, you got you, like, you
1: to pay rent, like, yeah. You know. And so like, yeah,
0: this is like the, the, the bare, bare bones, right? We got no cash, you know? So how, how are we going to figure this out? And so, um, you know, we we did the breakdowns of what's the bare minimum that we needed in order to live and to eat. And then we just paid ourselves, like we figured out a way to make it work for two years, paying ourselves below minimum wage um, and getting to where we needed to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and it seems like it's been working out
0: so far yes now we're in a much better place (laughs)
1: um so if you look ahead right now that you've raised this a got money in the bank you got customers you got a brand you got a community um what's next where do you want to take the company let's say over the next uh, three to five years
0: yeah i think i think over the the seed stage we were really testing out can we build this like this model that allows us to match people to schools mm-hmm. and i think we have the playbook to scale that out to boot camps and trade schools and colleges and i think that's going to work out very nicely and we can grow that revenue but as i mentioned in the beginning we want to create career navigation software that helps people forever and so in order to do that we really have to think deeply about what is the core action that people are going to take in the platform where they are going to be able to regularly receive career advice? And then on the other side, how can we empower individuals, corporations, governments, nonprofits to share career advice that these people will find valuable? And once that marriage happens, then we'll figure out ways for those um, career advice givers to not just... um, engage with those people but also come up with a really cool new um business model type stuff and monetization type things there um that benefits all parties right mm-hmm. and um and that's where i would say all of our new resources are going towards us towards um hiring people that can help us build out the software that goes beyond just matching people to school and helping people with the retention during the program during the job searching for the rest of their life. Um, And in the future, um, when you think about like the 2030 vision, if anybody wants to get a job or a career, get career advice, you don't have to worry about where to send them. So you just send them to career comma. or you want to get a new job, just go to career comma and you'll be able to find whatever you need in order to become a plumber or become a nurse or whatever. Like, but the platform should be able to help you get there. um, Not just from a career advice perspective, but connect you to the right people, the right schools, the right companies at the right time.
1: Yeah. So like across all categories uh, and almost all use cases just being the center for, for all career needs.
0: That's right. That's exactly that, right.
1: That's that trillion dollar vision right there. That's here. exactly right.
0: That's exactly right.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. awesome. Well, uh, I can't wait to see it. I hope you guys get to that vision, and 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 you know, along the way, you're helping so many people um, change their lives and and uh, change their careers. So, I'm excited for you guys, and, and really glad you came on to share your experiences. Thank you much.